Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is podcast number 014, podcast 14, where we have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live. And now we're starting season three, Christians, Christ, and the Culture. We'll be talking about family issues, gender issues, identity issues, the newest world religion, moralistic therapeutic deism, all of that through the lens of Scripture. And we use the lens of Scripture, God's Word, because it enables us to make sense of our existence and not merely to survive, but to thrive in a broken, fallen, and often confusing world. So join us over the next 20 or 30 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's-eye view perspective of a complex issue confronting our culture, the church, and you, and applying God's Word to make sense of it all. At the end of the podcast, we'll point you to some additional resources just in case you want to dig deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. Good afternoon, Mark. Good afternoon, Keith. Yeah, it's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. This is our pre-Thanksgiving podcast. And this one is going to be a little bit different. This is Pope Francis, gay marriage in the Catholic Church. So, Keith, I saw recently that Pope Francis had endorsed civil unions for homosexual couples. What's that all about? Yeah, that's the new news. I guess it sort of got drowned out with the election and everything, but the Pope made headlines last month when he made remarks that appeared in a documentary called Francesco, which is a movie about him. At the film's October 21st premiere in Rome, he made a statement about homosexuals or gay people being children of God and that we have to create a civil union law for them. Let me read you the quote in its context. Pope Francis said this, Homosexuals have a right to be part of the family. They are children of God and have a right to a family. Nobody should be thrown out or be made miserable because of it. The civil union law would cover same-sex marriages legally, he said. Now you can see what's caused all the fuss here. What many believe is that the Pope is floating a trial balloon of sorts, and perhaps the Catholic Church can let this become a teaching gradually over time if it gains acceptance and eventually make gay marriage a dogma, that is, a formal doctrine of the Catholic Church. So how does that work? Since the Catholic Church has never taught that before, how do they turn it into a doctrine of the Church? Well, not to sound flippant, but it's kind of like getting enough likes on Facebook and social media. You know, there are folks who post a picture or something of themselves pertaining to themselves, and if it doesn't get enough likes, it's removed. If it gets enough likes, it becomes a permanent part of the record. Let me give you an example of this from Catholic Church history. Let's say a pope makes a statement. The statement circulates. Sometimes the, co- the College of Cardinals would do this, the magisterium, whatever. Anyway, the statement gains popularity. It becomes sort of a teaching, and a teaching is next door or akin to a doctrine or a dogma. Now, dogma or doctrine is when an infallible declaration is made by the Pope, and then it becomes a formal, eternal doctrine of the Church, which is kind of misleading. Now, the Pope can do this by speaking ex cathedra and making an infallible declaration. An example of this from church, Catholic Church history is the Assumption of Mary, which is connected to the myth that Mary was born a virgin and remained a virgin forever, something contradicted by Scripture. The assumption of Mary into heaven has to do with her passing into heaven without experiencing death. And this was sort of an urban legend of sorts in the Catholic Church that had floated around somewhere around 1854 by one of the earlier popes, like Francis may be doing with civil unions and gay marriage. Then in 1950, Pope Pius XII invoked papal infallibility to define the dogma of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin in his Apostolic Constitution. Here's what he said and here's what he wrote. 
Pius XII wrote this, We proclaim and define it to be a dogma revealed by God that the Immaculate Mother of God, Mary, ever virgin, when the course of her earthly life was finished, was taken up body and soul into the glory of heaven. So with this in mind, let's understand what Francis may be doing. He may be paving the way, many believe, for gay marriage. So he's floated the gay civil unions idea out there with the idea, some say, of working towards gay marriage. At the same time, he's remaining carefully ambiguous. Some would say intentionally ambiguous. And since the statement's release, he's had various officials and organs of the Catholic Church run a little interference. Shortly after his initial bombshell statement, the Vatican Secretary of State sent explanatory notes to its nuncios, those are ambassadors, to be shared with bishops, I quote, with the desire to favor an appropriate understanding of the words of the Holy Father. In other words, he's saying, This is what the Pope said, and this is what we think the Pope meant. Now, all Francis has to do is to clarify for himself as the Pope. Instead, he avoids clarity and speaks through lower-level officials without ever coming down on the issue clearly. For example, the Apostolic Nuncio, that's the Vatican ambassador to Mexico, the Reverend Franco Coppola, published an unsigned note on his Facebook page the following Saturday saying Francis hadn't changed church doctrine, but had said what he said. Then on the following Monday, another Vatican official confirmed the authenticity of Francis' statement, but not clarifying. Why is that? Neither would affirm a change of doctrine, but you have to admit you have to see a change in direction. Francis is very fond of ambiguous statements, and many conservative Catholics, including the retired Pope Benedict, believe he is undermining the Roman religion incrementally, making statements as the pontiff, but not changing the doctrine. It would seem that Francis is remaining vague to gauge the reception of his statement. They believe this is a game that he played with something he said earlier about the deity of Christ when he was interviewed by an atheist writer friend of his and indicated that Christ may not have remained God after his incarnation. Lower-level officials then qualified Francis' statement, but Francis never really did. And this is kind of implying that this is what Francis said, but this is, on the other hand, what is meant. And common sense dictates that a pope, of all people, would understand his role and how he should speak carefully and clearly on any topic. So why doesn't Francis ever clarify? Some say there's a method to his madness. This is not the first time because he was caught passively affirming homosexuality in a BBC interview. And then the church sort of walked the statement back through lower level officials. But he never really did. And now he makes this statement on homosexual civil unions. It would seem that Francis is seeking to maintain some distance, a plausible denial. But let's stop and think. Should a pope, should a Christian find a secular marital union, a civil union between two men or two women, acceptable. This is just a semantic game that Francis is playing because a civil union for two men or two women would be approving of sex outside of marriage, and the Catholic Church makes a big deal about the holy sacrament of marriage. So he is tacitly affirming sex outside of marriage, premarital sex, and sex between two men or two women. Look what Francis says again. Homosexuals have a right to be part of the family, the Pope said. They're children of God and have a right to a family. Nobody should be thrown out or be made to feel miserable because of it. That civil union law would cover same-sex marriages legally. But what does Jesus say about all this? Did Jesus ever talk about marriage and the relationship between a man and a woman? He does. He did. 
Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. While the context of Jesus' statement was a rebuttal of the cavalier treatment of marriage by the religious authorities of his day in areas like divorce, the principle here explicitly states that marriage is to be a union of one man and one woman and that no one should tamper with that institution. Again, here the Pope's intellectual ambiguity here of creating false artificial distinctions appears to be rather disingenuous. Moreover, I think it's unfair both to homosexuals and heterosexuals that Francis lacks the clarity or their integrity to say what he thinks in a clear, succinct, and honest way. Again, as a pope to something like a billion Catholics, he needs to be crystal clear. So it's unfair to Catholics and to Christians because of the confusion and dissension that this creates. In some ways, you might say he's in danger of becoming the factious man. So what are we to make of his appeal to these rights, this right to be happy, to be part of a family. Well, again, here's where he comes across as a little less than candid. The Bible rejects homosexual passions acted upon or not acted upon as acceptable. Yet Francis said nobody should be made to feel miserable because of it. Well, choices, actions have consequences. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, hardship, heartbreak. And what we're talking here is about those who actively embrace homosexual passions and enter into a civil marital relationship, a civil union. We're not talking about those who have same-sex attraction, but resist it. We're talking about something different altogether. And we have to understand that the Bible in Romans 1 clearly rejects the idea of embracing homosexual attraction between men and men or women and women. In Romans 1.18, we read this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. goes on to say, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them, so that they are without excuse, that they simply choose to not acknowledge him as God. Therefore God, in verse 24, gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It goes on to say, For women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This is the consequence of sin. And here's what Francis's less than candid comments about them being miserable Here's where that just doesn't make any sense, because God's will is that if you choose to sin, you're going to reap the consequences of that. There are cause and effect relationships between our passions and our actions, and people receive the due penalty for their choices. That's what this passage is about, and it should be a huge, huge caution for Francis. Why is that? Romans 1.32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Francis seems to be coming dangerously close to not only condoning, but approving of homosexual conduct. And neither you, nor me, nor Francis have the ability to give approval of these types of behaviors on anyone's behalf, to do things that ought not to be done. God, through his word, here and elsewhere, and here in Romans, could not be more clear. So why would Francis ignore this? How could he? But didn't Francis say it was not his place to judge the morality of homosexual relationships last year? 
Yeah, he did, and he's half right. You and I and Francis aren't to judge because Scripture has judged for us. And Scripture forbids this. And Christ states that marital unions are to be between one man and one woman. And what God has ordained, we're not to separate or tamper with. Wow, so that makes it really seem like this statement that Francis has made is is pretty over the top. This is pretty unusual for a pope to do something like this, isn't it? It is over the top, but regrettably, it's not unusual for a pope to do something like this. Pope John Paul made lots of statements like this. He was somewhat of a universalist, and he once indicated that Christ wasn't the only way to heaven or into God's kingdom. Now, we know Catholicism to be a faith plus works religion, but years ago, John Paul II indicated that good people could work their way to heaven even without knowing Christ or being part of his church. In his document, Dominus Jesus, John Paul wrote this, Those who have chosen the way of the gospel beatitudes and live as the poor in spirit, there's your works, detached from material goods in order to raise up the lowly of the earth from the dust of their humiliation, will enter the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, all the just of the earth, that is all the righteous of the earth, including those who do not know Christ and his church, who under the influence of grace seek God with a sincere heart, will enter into the kingdom. Again, he said this in an official document, Dominus Yesu, back in 2000. Now, here's the problem with that. It's not what the Bible teaches. Yeah, it's almost like you said there at the beginning. It's it's very much works-based. Uh, it's almost like he's saying that good people can earn their way to heaven with a good attitude and good works. Yes, that's exactly what he's saying. See, and this is the problem with Francis' statement. Both John Paul II's statement here and Francis' statement about homosexuality and civil unions are refuted by the Bible. John Paul's works salvation affirmation and seeming universalism is contradicted by Scripture, Acts 4.12. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which you can be saved. John 14.6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Romans 10.9 and 10 talks about you have, to, you have to believe in Christ and that God raised him from the dead. And Romans 3.10 through 18 tells us there's no just of the earth. When John Paul says that the righteous people of the earth can earn their way to heaven, the Bible tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. And then in John 3, 3 through 7, Jesus tells Nicodemus, an old religious man, that unless he's born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. There are no just people seeking God on their own. There's only one way to heaven according to Christ, and that's through him knowing him. And what Francis is doing and what John Paul did was to nullify God's commandment for the sake of their own traditions. They say things without saying they are doctrine to kind of float them out there, and then one day they will become doctrine, like the Assumption of Mary floated the first time we read in 1854 and became dogma in 1950. Then they pretend that this was always the case, and for the most part, the public, even the Catholic public, has a short memory. So when they get enough likes over time, the Pope ends up speaking ex cathedra, making so-called infallible declarations of dogma that were supposedly true all along. So just to be clear, can you differentiate between homosexual behavior and same-sex attraction? Are they both sin? Well, thanks, Mark. I don't want to be misunderstood or misinterpreted, and certainly I don't want to be misrepresented. Let's be clear here. There are those who wrestle with same-sex attraction and don't end up in sin. They might be like a person wrestling with an anger problem, but someone embracing this attraction and seeking a pseudo marriage or a civil union is not the same as someone actively resisting the temptation. And Francis seems too often conveniently to fail to separate or differentiate between the two. 
Francis, as appears his custom or habit, has made a large moral, logical, and theological leap, ignoring the underpinnings of his statements. His idea that gays need special legal protection of some kind to be able to enjoy a relationship or the ability to transfer property or, or care for one another, and so we must create this civil union scenario, is just a lie masquerading as a humanitarian accommodation. Every country in the world has laws that apply to its citizens, transfer of properties, wills, living trusts. Human rights are protected by courts around the world, and you have to look at Francis's pattern through the lens of Catholic history. History. This is how the Catholic religion works. This is how it has worked throughout most of its history. Okay, so let me ask you to clarify something else. The statement or phrase, the Catholic religion, some see Roman Catholicism as a denomination of Christianity. So would you say that Catholicism is a denomination of Christianity, or are those two separate things? Two separate things, Mark. You've heard me say this before. There are but two religions in the world, the religion of human achievement in which man earns his salvation or through rituals or sacrifices manipulates the gods in order to find favor in their sight. Then there's a religion of divine achievement where God does for man what man cannot do for himself, where God, God the Son, does for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and that is to save us. That's why salvation is a gift received by faith and not by works. You see this summarized succinctly in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Catholicism, as it is known and taught today, is a religion of works. Salvation comes by works and is maintained by works or sacraments. But Christianity is a religion of grace, not grace plus works or faith plus works. They seem very similar, but the devil is in the details, and the resemblance is that, like comparing a tadpole to a guppy, one's an amphibian and one's a fish. In Catholicism, Christ opens the door through the cross, erasing original sin, but you have to work your way through that door and keep on working. In Christianity, Christ opens the door and by and through the Holy Spirit ushers us through that door. It's all of grace and it's all of God, and that's why it is the religion of divine achievement. That's Christianity. God does all the work in salvation. We are saved by grace not by works. In fact, Jesus speaks about this in John 6, 37 through 65. Let me just read through parts of that for you. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. God does the saving. Man does not save himself. That's the difference between Catholicism. There are no special people, only a special one-of-a-kind God. And that's why we read this in Acts 13, 48, and 49. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. That's why it is Christ who builds his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against his sovereign, omnipotent power and will. So it seems like the Catholic Church has gone off course. How long would you say that it's been off course? 
Well, Mark, some would say it's hard to pin down a date, and I would be inclined to agree. But at minimum, as far as I can tell, as early as 700 A.D. or as late as uh, 730 A.D. You know I'm a bit of a church history buff. There's a book called The Ecclesiastical History of the English People written by a monk or a priest called the Venerable Bede. And in it, you find uh, correspondence between him and the Pope and references to relics and other superstitions plaguing the church. And so when you're worshiping relics or dead man's bones and ascribing magical powers to them, you're off the rails. So within 300 years of the legalization of Christianity in Rome, right, Constantine around 400 AD, by 700 AD, over 1,320 years ago, the Catholic Church was charting a course to become a different world religion other than Christianity. And I guess that's why Francis doesn't surprise me. You have to remember that in the Catholic Church, tradition trumps scripture. They nullify the word of God with their traditions, teaching their traditions as if they were commandments of God. So when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, they say he speaks for God, that he speaks scripture, and Christians can't believe this. So again, to clarify, would you say that Catholics aren't saved? Okay, we're wandering far afield here from the homosexual or the civil union thing, but let me put it to you this way, Mark. Just as bad Mormons who really don't understand Mormon dogma can be saved by faith alone and Christ alone, despite what they've been taught in their group, so-called bad Catholics who love Jesus and really don't understand or hold to the dogmas and teachings of the Catholic Church can be saved if they put their faith in Christ alone. But those who hold strictly to the teachings of the Mormon Church or the Catholic Church have believed a different gospel. And that kind of error is a serious thing. And it's that kind of error that enables Francis to affirm same-sex unions, perhaps setting the stage for same-sex marriage becoming dogma in the church in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, or 100 years. So who knows, sooner. All right, well, it looks like we are out of time here. Yeah, I think that's it for today, Mark. If you like further resources, everyone, you can visit us online at www.gracetoliveradio.org and click the podcast resource button. If you'd like to ask me a question, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at keith at hillside.org. I try to answer emails within 24 hours. You can learn more about Hillside Church at www.hillside.org. You can watch our services online at www.hillside.org forward slash services. Or you can join us for outdoor worship right now at 1045 a.m. on Sundays and at 1215. Our Spanish service is at 2 o'clock. Before we go, if you're listening on one of the uh, podcast platforms, be sure and like us, give us a five-star rating, share us with your friends. We'd like to expand our listening audience so that we can reach more people for Christ. We release this podcast on Wednesday, so we hope you'll join us next time. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler, wishing you a happy Thanksgiving on the Out of My Mind podcast. God bless you and keep you.